Open your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking specifically at verse 11 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. I remember the, the first day we brought our first child, Grayson, home from the hospital. He was a whopping 3 pounds, 11 ounces tiny little thing, three weeks in the NICU, and we brought him home, and Andrea and I were both thinking when we left the hospital, do they know that we don't know what we're doing? (laughs) There's got to be more of like an application process and a screening process that you have to go through before you can take your kid home. Do they understand that we have no idea how to raise this thing or what to do with him at all? And we, so we get him in the car and we take him home. And, and, and as day went after day, I, I, I got more amazed as time went on at how dependent this little kid was on me. When he cried during the middle of the night, he was dependent on me to wake Andrea up and have him go, have her go in there and feed him. He was really, Dad, are you there for me? I was there, in some cases, pretending to be to sleep. <laughs> but over the years, I've, I've watched him. He's now six years old, two more, four and two. And every stage of independence is more heartbreaking than the one before it. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are thinking, well, just wait, it gets worse. And I, I know that that's true. I don't know it personally. I haven't experienced it, but I know it's true if, if the pattern in the past is true. Every stage of independence is more heartbreaking than the one before it. But of course, we know that our children are really not growing independent, truly. They're really transferring their dependence from us to other things. They're shifting their dependence from me to other things. When a child learns to crawl, he's shifting his dependence on me to pick him up and carry him to his own body to carry him, right? He's shifting his dependence to himself in some ways. So it doesn't matter how old we get, we're still dependent on someone or something as we get older. We move out of our homes, we're no longer dependent on our parents, but our, our, we just shift our dependence from our parents' provision to now trusting that the, the company that we work for won't go out of business, that it will stay afloat, that they'll continue to pay us, um, that my body will hold up and allow me to continue working, and so I'm dependent on my health. Uh, we are dependent on even the economy around us, things that we can't control, um, to, to maintain its solidarity so that we can, our, our dollar is, can, is worth something, and we can continue to buy things. Uh, even the stock market, we have money in the stock market and things like that to sustain our savings. Yes, of course. There's so many things around us that we depend on. We've just shifted our dependence from our parents to many other things. If you really think about life as transferring dependence from one place to another, you can look around at your life right now and realize that there are a ton of things that you are dependent on. A ton of things that you are dependent on. 
Things that you virtually have no control over at all. That you are absolutely depend, depending remains constant. We are dependent creatures. We're constantly looking for things on which we can rely. Now our text this morning is one that most of you know. It falls in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to read the whole Lord's Prayer. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer for the last few weeks, so we're going to read all of it. But we're going to focus on verse 11. Most of you know this whole Lord's Prayer. You can quote it by heart. And we're in verse 11, we're asking the Lord to give us our daily bread. And the central question that we're asking this morning is one of dependence. On what things are you currently dependent? What things do you currently depend on? Now, don't be so quick to answer. I want you to think deeply about this. I don't want you to just give the cursory spiritual answer. Well, I depend on the Lord for everything, of course. But really think carefully on what things do you depend. Now, with that in mind, let's look at our text this morning. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 9 to 15. We're going to focus on verse 11. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive as we have as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We've been talking about prayer over the last few weeks as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapter five, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And if you'll recall, Jesus begins teaching us how to pray, and he warns us before that about how not to pray. And so he gives us two groups, two examples, just before the Lord's Prayer, of people that we should not be. There's the hypocrites and the Gentiles, who both approach prayer with wrong motivations. Now, the first group, the hypocrites, they really don't want to be seen by God at all. They'd much rather be seen by other people. That other people can look at them and say, wow, how holy and how spiritual they are. Did you hear all of the things that they were saying? Did you hear how, how they gave their life to prayer? Right there in the middle of everybody, they didn't care who was watching, which in truth is not really true. They, they do care who's watching. They want people to see how good they are. And the other group, of course, is the Gentiles. And they work under the assumption that, that God can be manipulated or impressed by the words that they use. Now, either they're going to impress God with their words, or they, they're convinced that somehow that He can be cajoled in some way. In other words, they're going to impress God with some particular formula that they apply to their prayer that will cause God to listen. The point that Jesus is making before we even get to the prayer that is, is, is that, that prayer is a heart issue. That there's a heart behind your prayer that's at work. And the best way to test your motivations for prayer is to really go into your closet and pray in secret to your Father who sees in secret. To not let anybody else know. So Jesus begins teaching with what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer as a way of further turning our hearts and pushing on our hearts motivations for why we pray. And so he begins in the most logical place in this prayer. He begins with God. 
The first challenge is really asking the question, whose name in your prayer are you most concerned with? Whose name in your prayer are you most concerned with? Jesus is pointing, back, pointing us back to the Creator of all things. God Himself. The only one worthy of worship and adoration. And He's saying, this is the direction that your prayers should be facing. This is the direction that your hearts should be facing in prayer. Turn towards the Lord and asking for the hallowing of His name. I want your name to be great on the earth. And then last week we saw that that our, our hearts should also be desiring that the Lord's kingdom come. We should be desiring a time when all the people of the earth come under God's rule and His reign. They submit to His kingship. And further, we should be desiring a time to come when all people on earth would desire to do His will on earth as it is done in heaven. That's something that we should even desire of ourselves now. At this very moment, I should be desiring to live my life on earth as my life would be lived in heaven in accordance with His will. So to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven right now means that I'm committing myself to carrying out God's will in living a life of holiness right right now, right at this very moment. And that I'm praying for that. That's, That's my desire is that that happens. But now the Lord's Prayer takes a a turn. So there are three petitions that open this prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. All three of these petitions have the same direction. We're all asking the Lord that He accomplish something. They're all totally concerned with God's name, His kingdom, and His will. But now the prayer turns to consider our own needs. And the next three petitions, this one and two more, will concern our own needs. And so for this first petition, we test our real dependence on God for the things that we're asking for. First we see, which is the first point here, that God is the provider for all our needs. That's the first thing we see in this short little line in this prayer, is that God is the provider for all of our needs. Now this, this change in the Lord's Prayer is so abrupt It's such a a seemingly sharp right turn from totally focused on God, His will, His kingdom, and all of those kinds of things, to now us, that some have argued that Jesus, well, He can't be teaching about literal bread here. Surely He's not talking about actual food, because, you know, food is temporal and ultimately meaningless. And so so the Lord wouldn't concern Himself with those kinds of things, because they're earthly and temporal, right? So the argument goes. And therefore, his disciples shouldn't be either. Well, of course, then. He's telling us, obviously, to ask for spiritual food. Must be. The bread here must refer to the Word of God. Maybe the Bible. Maybe that's what the word bread means, really, when you think about it. After all, man shall not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Maybe that's what he's talking about here. And and I'll admit that it's true that the direction of the Sermon on the Mount, the direction of the Lord's Prayer, the direction of Jesus' teaching, the direction of the Bible as a whole is that God is holy and we exist to worship Him. I mean, that's the direction of Scripture. And so we lead off every service 
as you saw today, with prayer of adoration. We adore God for who He is. And then we, we go into two songs of adoration. So we sing about how great God is to remind us of what kind of God we're here to worship. We typically come in with either thanksgiving or confession. This morning, thanksgiving, but, but in most weeks, confession of sin because we're, we're submitting to His rule and His reign. We're asking that His will be done. We're recognizing that there's times where we don't do that. So not only is the direction of Scripture points us in that, in that direction toward God in accordance with the, the, the Lord's Prayer, but also the direction of our worship is sort of in accordance with the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's in that way. It's a Godward direction. But it's preposterous to think that because God is holy and worthy of worship, that all other of life's concerns are meaningless. Well, that's not true either. Jesus is talking here about bread, food, real things that you eat. It's not just metaphorical bread. This isn't the Bible that he's talking about here. It's not the Lord's Supper that he's talking about. This is provision for food that he's teaching us to ask the Lord for. And while I think it's, it's foolish to explain this as merely having some hidden spiritual meaning, I do think Jesus is teaching about more than just bread. Some would say that this simply is about food. Maybe it's just about food and, and, and water. The basics of essentials that it takes to keep you alive. And some might even go as far as to say, well, if you ask for anything other than the basics of life, the things that will keep you alive, well, then that's selfish and earthly. So once again, we find ourselves on this road where there's a ditch on either side. On one side, we can totally take the word bread and just allegorize it and remove it of all its meaning. It's totally spiritual. On the other end, we could say it's only bread, and if you ask for anything other than the barest essentials, then you're a dirtbag. And neither one of those are true. I think either one of these ignores the broader teaching that Scripture has on prayer. Like in the next chapter, in chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to, do, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Amen. Here again, Jesus uses the example of bread. And He also adds fish to the request. Still, we're dealing with food. But then He generalizes it so that it's not just food. He says gifts. And then from gifts, He generalizes it even more to things. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now, it's obvious that Jesus has more in mind than just food, but things in general. As the, the concept of bread would imply, these are, are things that I need. These are necessities. As I said last week, we're, we're not talking about expensive cars. We're not talking about yachts. 
We're talking about assessing your life, thinking about your life, and the things that you need, all of which come from the Lord. Every single one of those are from His hand. James tells us all good things, every good and perfect gift comes from above. All those gifts are from God. But think about this for just a moment. I want us to take this a little bit deeper. Though we're a few verses away from our first petition, being, hallowed be your name. We want, we want His name to be hallowed. We're a few verses down from that. And as I said, it's turned just a little bit. But our petition for our needs are not divorced from the hallowing of God's name, if that's what our heart is set on. If our heart is really set on the hallowing of God's name, then our needs are going to follow where our heart is leading. Yes? Our needs are going to follow where our heart is leading. So in fact, this is a great way to check the motivations that are behind the requests that we make. What is the kingdom purpose of this request? What's the kingdom purpose of this need? After all, don't we see in the context of chapter 6 that Jesus really, He's questioning our motivations. He's questioning what motivates us toward righteousness. The hypocrite in the first two examples that He gives, verses 1 to 8, He's questioning their motivations for righteousness. They're not in the right place. The right conclusion that he's getting us to is that all we do is for the Lord rather than for our selfish and hypocritical motives. Now, if that's so, then what should our request to God be centered around? Shouldn't the motivations behind these requests also be right? James tells us in James 4, 2-3, he says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So Scripture points us to the fact that there are bad motivations for requests. They're not all good. Not all prayers are created equal. There are bad motivations for requests. And he even tells us that God it results in a, in a no from the Lord. Because what you ask for is to be spent on yourself. It serves only yourself. You want to spend it on your own passions. I think when you couple Jesus' teaching on prayer and the Sermon on the Mount with James' statement about the proper motivations for requests, you come to the conclusion that even our requests for our daily needs should be thought of as being used for kingdom purposes. How are these things going to be used that God gives to you? How are they going to be used for kingdom purposes? Now, if that's true, that my deepest desire is for God's name to be hallowed, like the first petition says, and I also desire for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm therefore doing His will now in living a life of holiness, even right now as I would in heaven. And I'm sharing the gospel with those that I come in contact with, discipling believers. I'm doing the things that He's put me here to do. Then what sort of needs will I have? 
What sort of needs will rise to the surface? Well, they're kingdom needs, aren't they? That's what they are. They're kingdom needs. Now, if, on the other hand, I'm living my best life now, and I'm stacking up treasures all around me, then what kinds of prayers will, will I pray for? Well, they won't be prayers that advance the kingdom of God. They'll be prayers towards the expanse of my own treasure chest. That's all they'll be. So instead, we ask the Lord for our daily provisions. Food, water, clothing, shelter, heat. In Alabama, air conditioning. It's necessary. Because our, our lives cannot be spent on kingdom work if we're busy fighting for table scraps. That's the premise. You're asking for daily food because you need to get to work. The food is the fuel for the work. That's its purpose. That's what's driving my heart to go to the Lord who is the giver of all good gifts and ask Him for these things so that I can continue to do the work that He has put me here to do. I lack the most basics of essentials and so I need those things. It may be more than the basics. There may be other things that I need that I need to ask for. But they're all in accordance with what's going to allow me to do kingdom work. To go out into the world and do the work that He's put me here to do. I'm praying for healing not merely because I don't want to die. But because it's difficult to do kingdom work that he's put me here to do in a hospital bed. It's difficult to do kingdom work that he's put me here to do if I'm dead. It's to get going. It's to do more work. But see, there's, there's one of two lifestyles that will typically lead that show the real motivations of our hearts. These two lifestyles, they typically expose us and expose our motivations for what they really are. The first is the lifestyle that's trapped in an endless cycle of wants instead of needs. That lifestyle that's just trapped in an endless cycle of wants instead of needs. And the, the simple truth is that we've never spent enough time being motivated for the expanse of the kingdom of God to actually think about even our most basic needs as ultimately kingdom needs. We haven't made that connection. How does my food relate to the expanse of God's kingdom? How does my clothing or my house relate to the expanse of God's kingdom? How does my interaction with my friends lead to the expanse of God's kingdom? We've never put those things together. Instead, most of our prayers are for things like health and well-being because we don't want any sort of aches and pains. They're an inconvenient to us. They're inconvenient to us. Instead of thinking how our able bodies are connected to the expanse of God's kingdom here and now. The second lifestyle is one that's characterized by prayerlessness. A life that's characterized by prayerlessness. Consider what you're saying when you live a life of prayerlessness. If Jesus is teaching us to ask God for even daily bread, if He's teaching us to ask for even the most basics of food, what does it say when you don't even ask for anything? What does it say when you're absolutely prayerlessness, prayerless? 
Or you, you fight seasons of complete prayerlessness. What does that say? Well, I think it says either you're confident that you've got God in a box and that He'll always supply your every need without you even having to ask Him. You've got Him right here in your hip pocket. Or that you're providing your own food and you have no need of God. It's one of two. Motivated by pride. Because we provide for ourselves. Neither path is worth walking down. And to be frank with you, I've had seasons where I've walked down either one. Sometimes both. When I'm prayerless, mostly. And then when I am prayerful, it's selfishly motivated. It's not kingdom related. I've walked down both paths. So I'm not just standing up here. I'm sitting in the pew as well. I'm preaching in the mirror. You're just listening. In the context, Jesus is pushing our hearts toward God and His kingdom and teaching us that God is the provider of all needs. He is the provider of all of our needs. Now, second, if we're dependent on God, then we must seek daily provision from Him. If we're dependent on God, truly dependent on God, then we must seek daily provision from Him. Now, the central phrase in this petition is one that probably doesn't receive a whole lot of attention that it deserves. And because Jesus says this, give us this day our daily bread. Now, the word that there is, is used that, that Matthew uses there for, for daily is only ever used in Luke. So it's Matthew and Luke. Those are the only two times it's used in the Bible. It's the only times it's used in all of Greek literature. So essentially, the gospel writers invented this word. And so you might see it translated sometimes in some of your Bibles. Maybe you're reading with me, and it might say, give us today our bread that we need for tomorrow, or tomorrow's bread, or something like that. But I think that's unlikely. I think it's right here. Give us this day our daily bread. The point that Jesus is making, and I think it deserves our consideration, and, and is that not only is God our Father and the provider of all things, but we're also to seek provisions from Him daily, every day, we're to go to Him and ask for the provisions that we need for this day. Now, this is really difficult to wrap our minds around because we're in, the, in a Western culture where we work on salary. We, have, we know what our, our, our wages are going to be over the coming weeks and months. And even if we work on commission or maybe we're paid hourly, we kind of know roughly what we're going to make. We can buy groceries even in advance if we don't have anything saved up. We have savings accounts, most of us, that we can rely on in case of utter dire need. And so it's, it seems like a, 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 just a, a weird, strange thing to ask for provisions of the basics, basic essentials every single day. But that's because we live in the West. The vast majority of the rest of the world and those listening to Jesus live hand to mouth. Meaning what they make that day goes in their mouth the next day. There's no future planning. If they don't work, they don't eat. Much of the rest of the world still works in this capacity. When I work with pastors in Tanzania, most of the pastors pastor churches 
without a Bible. Just think about that for just a moment. Pastoring a church without a Bible. And the reason they pastor a church without a Bible is because to buy a Bible would be to give up a week's worth of wages. A whopping seven U.S. dollars for an Old and New Testament. Seven dollars. They cannot afford because to buy it would be to not feed their families. Now that's pastors. That's not to mention the rest of the congregation who can't even afford a New Testament, which is about $3. If they buy that, they go without food for a week. So Jesus is talking to a culture much like that that's living hand to mouth in a similar way. And so his prayer is, Lord, today, will you provide for us the bread that we need? But there's more to this, I think. You know, when you read an article online, you go through the text of the article and you'll see words that are in different color and sometimes they're underlined and you put your little mouse over them and you touch them and they take you to a reference point, another website or something like that. They're called hyperlinks. Now, if this is breaking any news to you right now, just be sure to indicate that on your connection card. Put it in the offering plate and we'll be sure to pray for you. Later on. <clears throat> but these hyperlinks, they take you to other places. Well, if you're a careful reader of the Bible, then you'll notice that the characters in Scripture and the biblical authors often leave behind in the stories these little hyperlinks that go everywhere that's meant to draw your attention to another text or to put your mind in another place as these words and phrases are used. Now, how can a group of Jews that are listening to Jesus talk when he says, give us this day our daily bread, not be drawn to their ancestors in the wilderness, wandering around with Moses as God literally provided for them bread in the wilderness on a daily basis? Of course it does. It, naturally, it draws their mind to that. The connection is even underscored by the fact that the Jews in that time, as they're going through the wilderness collecting this manna that God has provided for them, they couldn't collect more than a day's worth of manna or it would spoil, except the day before a Sabbath. On that day, they could collect those two days, but that's it. You collected any more than that, and it would spoil. And they tried, and it didn't work, right? <laughs> but you couldn't. You had to collect only the bread daily. And I think Jesus is building a connection in our minds to this event and making the point that just because you're not literally wandering in a physical wilderness right now doesn't mean that you're any less dependent on God for daily provisions. Of course you are. You, you're, you're, you're relying on Him for everything because He is the provider of all things. And it should be a prayer that we offer daily, just as those in the wilderness were depending on Him every single day to provide for them there. Amen. So who provided that job for you that puts that food on the table? Who provided for you that healthy body with which you work? No matter what you do, from the work you do to the air you breathe, is a gift of God's daily provision. You realize how quickly our health can turn? I don't care if you grew up running marathons and eating organic blueberries and free-range chicken. 
You can find somebody who died today that did the same thing. Life is a vapor. We're dependent on him for every single thing. But then Jesus, I think, is building another hyperlink. So he'll say, pray for your daily needs. But this concept of daily bread and manna in the wilderness is connected to a bigger picture as well. John 6, 32, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so while Jesus is telling us here in the, in the, the Lord's Prayer to pray for your daily needs and ask the Lord to provide it, bread is also a stand-in for every need that we have. So the very notion of daily bread is a theme that's connected throughout the Scriptures, both to the people in the past who depended on the Lord daily for daily provisions, all the way through the New Testament where we see Jesus as our true daily bread. The bread that really came from God that fulfills our spiritual needs as well. So in the New Testament, we see Jesus as our true daily bread who allows his body to be broken, dying on the cross, suffering the wrath of God so that those who believe in him will not have to face God's wrath, but will have everlasting life. This is the bread that nourishes the soul on which we also are dependent on God to provide. So the underlying message here is that we should be so dependent on the Lord for provision that we are daily seeking Him in prayer to provide for us. And that's both physical and as we see in the Lord's Prayer there, and it's also spiritual needs as well, which God has also provided. But let's be honest with ourselves, if we can, for just, just a moment. When was the last time we prayed for something like a provision of food? I'm not talking about giving thanks to the Lord for the food that's on the table. I'm talking about when was the last time that we prayed to God that He would provide for us food. Just think about that for just a moment. That's true of me. Rarely, if ever, is there a prayer for food daily. We have a pantry full of it. How many times are we asking the Lord to actually provide for us food? There is a um, part, part of the bigger issue at work, I think, in most of our lives. I know this is true of me. I think it's probably true of you as well. Living in a, the richest country that's ever been on the face of the earth. Living in some of the most prosperous times we've ever had. On the whole, having more money than we've ever had. Whereas even our poor, in the global standards are not poor, is unheard of. And what does it lead to except that we have a tendency to feel as though, I, I, I've got food for the next two weeks pretty much covered. 
Because prosperity just abounds. But the connection and the problem it's running throughout the New Testament and throughout Scripture is that the rich think that they have no need of God. You see this popping up in almost every book. I'll mention a few. Moses tells the children of Israel as they're preparing to go into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 6, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with the great and good cities that you did not build, houses that are full of all good things that you didn't fill, cisterns that you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We see it in Zephaniah in our small groups just a couple weeks ago. We see people get fat and happy and sleek. They wander out from the protection of the Lord. It's easier, Jesus says, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The theme we see pop up so many times over and over again is as you grow in prosperity so you can grow in your lack of dependency on the Lord. The connection is real. Now the problem with that way of thinking is that we never leave the house of the Lord. We turn 18, we graduate, we move out of our home, maybe go to college, then get a career. We're no longer dependent on mom and dad. We make our own money, we provide our own house, our own food, all of those kinds of things. But there's never a stage where we graduate out of our dependency on the Lord. There's never a time where we move out from under the dependency on the Lord and shift to other things or there's not supposed to be. But you have to remember, when you're tempted to think that way, when you're tempted to think, well, I'm I'm providing for myself, I'm independent, all you've really done is shifted your dependency from God to something else. These are what we call idols. That's all we've really done, is I've shifted my way of thinking from God to something else. Now I'm dependent on on that to provide for me. You're not gaining independence. I don't need God to provide daily food. I can provide food on my own. Are you not dependent on your own health? On your job security? I have amassed a fortune in case that I have such a health crisis or a job crisis come up. I've amassed this wealth that is there to, to help me through this in case, in case that, that happened. Are you not dependent on markets that you can't control, on economies that you can't control, on dollar values that you cannot control? Of course you are. We all are to some extent. We don't grow in independence. We merely shift our dependence from one thing to another. This line in the Lord's Prayer is confessing our dependence on the Lord to meet our needs daily. But it makes me want to ask the question, what are the things that you need? Ask yourself that question right now. What are the things that I need? Are you taking an inventory daily of the things that you actually need for that day? 
Now, there, there may be some things that are ongoing needs that you're going to need over the course of, of, of time, or they may be things that you absolutely have to have that day, but are you taking inventory of the things that you need in order to do the work that God has put you here to do? Which really raises another bigger question. Do you know what work God has put you here to do? Think to yourself, do I know what kingdom purpose I'm serving? Why you? Why are you here? What are you doing in God's kingdom? What, what purpose do you serve in God's kingdom? Why did He pick you instead of someone else? I was just to go to work and earn a paycheck and put food on your table. Then surely you could have picked any old warm body to do that. Why you? You have talents, you have abilities, you have giftings, you have things that He's given to you for the edification of the body and for those around you. What purpose do you serve in God's kingdom? I promise you, He created no bumps on logs. All His logs are smooth. No bumps on logs. If that's true, what, why you? What did He put you here for? Do you know? In order to know what your daily needs are, you kind of need to know, what work am I doing in the kingdom? I'm going to push on you for just a minute. If there's not things that immediately come to mind of things that you need the Lord to provide in order to do the work of ministry that He's put you here to do, then it's possible, one of two things is possible. Either you've shifted your dependence from Him to something else, or you're being lazy. Either one is possible. Are you doing work for His kingdom? Are you connecting with the lost? Are you discipling people that are around you? Immature Christians? Are you serving the body in some way. It's possible that you've retreated into wealth and prosperity and would rather sit instead of serve. And I don't think he's put you here for that purpose. Because if you do that, and if you retreat to that position, then what could you possibly, possibly pray for that you daily need? I think of my wife who is a stay-at-home mom and she homeschools our children. And I know we, we actually have many moms in this church that do the same thing. And I think if you asked her, what kingdom purpose does your life serve? She would say, raising these three children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is my purpose. I think she would tell you that. I might be wrong. I'm putting her on the spot here. <laughs> but I think she would tell you that. I think she would say, I'm planting trees. That I'm going to tend and nourish. That one day will grow up and bless the lives of so many around them. Amen. And right now, that's my life's work. I think that's what she would tell you. In connecting that her job, her role, what she's doing, 
to a kingdom purpose, raising these three children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. What do you think is on her prayer list of things she needs? Patience is number one. Guaranteed. I spend three minutes with my kids and they're driving me nuts already. She's at home all day with them. What do you think her prayer list is? Patience is one. That the things that I'm teaching them will be communicated. That he'll soften their heart to hear the gospel. Of course that is. Once you discover what your purpose is here, your daily needs become obvious. They become so urgent. I can't wait every day. I'm going to pray all the time. Because there's things that I'm running into that I can't solve. And I need them to work out for me. That's true of every job. You don't have to be a minister to serve a kingdom purpose. That's true of every single career. There's things that you're doing where you have influence over people around you. There's kingdom purposes that you're serving. What are they? You'll see your needs come to the surface. So my challenge to you is first, if we're applying this to ourselves... Find a ministry. Find that path in your life where you're serving a kingdom purpose by what you do. Find a ministry even where you can find people that you can care for, that you can teach, that you can disciple, maybe even share the gospel with. Find a place where you can serve in that capacity. Move out to the frontiers where it's a lot less comfortable and when you get out there, your daily needs will become obvious. Because you'll realize I have zero power in any of this. I am entirely reliant on the Lord to do this work. Move out to the frontiers. If you don't know what your daily needs are, it's probably because you're sitting back. Move out to the frontiers where becomes even a little bit dangerous and see what your needs become. On September 25th, September 25th, write it down. On September 25th, I will be going to East McFarland Baptist Church, which is in our town. Pastor there is Chad Palmer. He used to serve with the police department. Now he's a full-time pastor at East McFarland Baptist Church. We'll be, I'll be leaving this church at 2 p.m., so you are more than welcome to join me. 2 p.m. here, we will leave and go to East McFarland Baptist Church. What Chad does with his church is goes into an area that's, uh, well, let's just say not incredibly safe, all right, or hasn't been known for safety, okay, where he has the opportunity, as kids get off the bus, to minister to at-risk kids, where they help them with their homework, and then they share one gospel story. And so I'm going over there to partner with him to see if it's something that we can do long term. And I'm more than willing to take anybody from our church over there. Now, it may be something that we can't do or we don't have the people to support. And if you work in a job where you absolutely cannot get off at two, then guess what? The Lord's probably not calling you to this ministry. I don't know. Maybe he's calling you to quit your job. Maybe, but probably not. All right? But if you are available at those times, maybe you want to go check it out. September 25th, 2 p.m., we'll leave here. That means be a little bit early, all right? 
We'll be going over to East McFarland, we'll be talking to Chad, listening to what he has to do, and then we'll be going over to the apartment complex and hopefully being able to help kids share the gospel with them as well. Um, the second thing, so the first thing is find a, find a ministry that pushes you towards the frontiers, that reveals what your daily needs are. The second thing I would say is ask the Lord for the specifics of things that you need. Don't avoid asking for specifics. If I need $600 to do a certain thing that's going to help me in furthering God's kingdom and doing the work that He's put me here to do, ask for it. Ask for that specifically. We look at those things as if it's shameful to ask for something specific. And we, so we, we refrain from that and we just pray in generalities. Hey, Lord, just you know, provide, provide if you will. Do the, you know, help, help me out here. Give me grace as I go. Give me traveling mercies as I get there. Whatever. We ask for these generalities instead of asking for specifics. There may be tons of prayers that we pray. We're not sure if God actually ever does answers because they were so general that he could have answered them any time, and we wouldn't have known it. Asking for specifics, and you will be amazed at how many times he answers you and gives you exactly what you need. I'm proud of our staff, Jeremy and Tom, both come into my office every Monday and have listed out several things that they are praying for for your children in the lives of Students in the lives of children, the lives of our college students, specific things that we want to see answered, specific things that we want answered for our path going forward as a church. They're bringing these and we're asking for them. And even in the few weeks that we've done this, we can already see ways in which the Lord has provided those exact answers. When you move out, to the frontiers, when you see what really needs to be done, when you know what purpose you're here to serve, your needs become obvious. And so if they're not obvious to you, keep moving. They will become obvious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We require needs, our needs to be met. We are totally dependent on you for every single thing. There is nothing that we provide on our own. We are completely and totally dependent on you for everything. Lord, there are so many things in our families that we need you to provide some of us in this room may struggle with finances and we need you to provide there. Provide help and counseling to get our finances straight. Provide money to pay the bills. Some of us are totally dependent on you as we raise our children. We don't know what we're doing. We need help. We need help to raise these kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Or we can't penetrate their hearts. We can continue to share the gospel over and over. But only you can penetrate their hearts. Only you can bring them to faith. 
Lord, as a church, we are completely and totally dependent on you for everything. We have debt we can't pay off without your help. Without you providing it for us. We have missions that we need to be doing that we cannot do because we are incapable of motivating the hearts of men. Only you can do that. We have things that we want to do in the future that only you can provide. Lord, I pray for the day when Emmanuel Baptist Church becomes a launching pad for Christians that come here. That we're continually sending people out into the world as death-seeking missiles. Find the dead and dying. Give to them the words of life. I want that so badly for our church. But only you can make it happen. Things that we need every single day in order to even take the next step in that direction. Father, we know we're completely at your mercy. From the work we do to the air we breathe, we are entirely dependent on you. Lord, give us this day what it takes to be a church, to be a people whose hearts are totally submitted to your will. And let us not worry about tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.